Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tipsy Ghost. We're your tipsy hosts, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. Hey, guys. Hi. What are we talking about tonight? True crime. <laughs> you guys suck so bad. <laughs> you guys suck so bad. <laughs> I was thrown off. Oh, sorry. Sorry. We are talking about true crime, but we're also going to talk about... Rodney Alcala. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Apparently, this is the night of solos. Sarah's just really sitting here watching, watching us. and listening to both of you. <laughs> she, she let us both crash and me. burn. He's been in the <laughs> news. I was not pointing at you. <laughs> I wasn't looking at you. <laughs> He's been in the news. There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay, I wanted to. You know what? You stole my thunder, Lindsay. <laughs> I'm okay. so sorry. It's all right. <laughs> so yeah where are we what are we you're gonna tell us about rod i oh nicknames already <laughs> okay i don't like that we're gonna go with rodney <laughs> all right mr rodney alcala he was also known as the dating game killer okay i it took me a second before i realized that's the theme song to the dating game <laughs> bachelor number one <laughs> i was like wait a second second is my theme song music um okay now i'm all okay he was so rodney alcala he was born on august 23rd 1943 as rodrigo jacques alcala bucor he was born in san antonio texas to his parents raul alcala bucor and ana maria gutierrez all right he moved to mexico in 1951 but his father abandoned them there three years later so in 1954, they moved back to the USA in Los Angeles, and he lived there with his mother and sisters. So we're going to fast forward a little bit through his adolescence. Age 17 in 1961, he joined the Army and served as a clerk. But three years later, he had a nervous breakdown and went AWOL and hitchhiked from Fort Bragg to his mother's house. I tried to find out kind of what happened, but I couldn't really find out anything. They just said he had a nervous breakdown, so... So after he went AWOL and was brought back, he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder by a military psychiatrist and was discharged on medical grounds. Eventually later on, and I'm sure you guys will talk about this, he was evaluated by other psychiatrists who also diagnosed him with narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and malignant narcissism with psychopathy. (laughs) Oh, you did it. I, I, you did great. Lots of words. Gosh. After he left the army, he went to UCLA. So we're going to fast forward again to 1968 when his first victim. He was seen by a good Samaritan luring an eight-year-old girl named Tally Shapiro into his apartment in Hollywood. So the good Samaritan was like, that's unusual, called 911 and police arrived and she was found alive but had been raped and beaten with a steel bar. Alcala was gone he left as soon as he heard the police arrive. So that good Samaritan basically saved uh, this little kid's life because she was near death when they found her. Jeez. Yeah. Can I just say, I watched the 2020 mm-hmm. documentary about that, and it included the officer that initially went, was the first unseen. That found her, yeah. And it still chokes him up to this day how severely yeah. beaten and Aww. kind of roughed up she was. At eight years old. Yes. So a warrant obviously went out for his arrest, um, but he left California and made it across the country to New York. And there he enrolled in NYU in their film school program using a different name, John Berger. And it's going to be B-E-R-G-E-R because this is important. 
Here he studied under Roman Polanski. Remind everybody who Roman Polanski is. He is a creepy, famous director who, like, uh, groomed young girls and then married them. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to say it <laughs> other than he groomed them. He's a sexual predator on young women. Not, not a good guy. But we didn't know that at the time. Now we do. <laughs> All right. So FBI, they added Alcala to the 10 most wanted fugitives list in 1971. But again, I mean, he's across the country. So in 1971, also around that time, he got a counseling job at a New Hampshire's art camp for children using the name John Berger, spelled like the burger you eat, B-U-R-G-E-R. So he's working with kids. This is great. Sounds Mm. like a bad idea. So many good background checks that went into this. Well, (laughs) it was the 70s. In the 70s, yes. And he's on the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives list. Yeah. So all you got to do is change your name. And they're like, we don't know him anymore. Where'd he go? Never seen him. To be fair, New York City probably doesn't know about stuff that happened in California. You know? Like even the 70s? I mean, this was... 71. Three years later. So three years after it. So it's not like it was like in the media's mind anymore or anything yeah. like that. <clears throat> so June 1971, Cornelia M- Michelle Crilly was a 23-year-old flight attendant, and she was found raped and strangled in her Manhattan apartment. And her murder was unsolved until 2011. So a few months after this, two children attending the arts camp saw his photo on the FBI poster at the post office and called the police. More good Samaritans because he was arrested and extradited back to California. But at this point, like I said, it's been three years. Tally's family had taken her to Mexico and they refused to return. They refused to allow her to testify at the trial because they thought it was just going to traumatize her again. So because they had no witness, they could not convict him of rape or attempted murder. And instead, he was convicted of child molestation and sentenced to three years. Three years. That's it. That's horrible. But he was paroled in 1974 after 17 months. So less than two months after his release, he was arrested again for assaulting a 13-year-old girl identified in court records as Julie J. Mm. And he had offered her a ride to school, picked her up, and then assaulted her. So again, put back in prison, and he was paroled again after only two years. So after his second release, it's now 1977, his parole officer let him travel to New York City to see family, which... Now they're, like, looking back, they're like, why would a parole officer let someone who was a known flight risk, who had already fled, and was a repeat offender? Like, several offenses. He's had three. But he let him go to New York City. So during this time, cold case investigators now believe that a week after he got to New York City, he killed Ellen Jane Hover, who was 23 years old. She was the daughter of the owner of a Hollywood nightclub and the goddaughter of Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. And her remains were found buried at Rockefeller Estate. So they think that he is connected to that. Here are some other victims. And these are all in 1977 and 1978. So he went on quite the spree. 1977, Antoinette Whitaker found murdered in Washington. 1977, again, Jill Barkham found murdered in California. 1977, again, Georgia Wickstead, who was found murdered in California. 1977, Pamela Jean Lamson, who was murdered in California. And then 1977, again, Christine Thornton, murdered in Wyoming. And the last one here in this time frame, 1978, Joyce Gaunt, who was murdered in Washington. He was, uh, 
(laughs) (laughs) murdered in washington he was suspected of murdering her okay so 1978 after you know all of his crime spree here he's working at the la times he's back in la he's working as a typesetter and he was interviewed this is just a fun fact by members of the hillside strangler task force because they were going around while trying to find the hillside strangler and interviewing all known sex offenders which i'll call it was he was ruled out as the hillside strangler but was arrested and served another brief sentence for marijuana possession so during this time, he also was pretending to be a professional fashion photographer and would photograph hundreds of young women and f- men for his, I'm going to put it in quotations, portfolio. Right. No. His own personal. Yeah, there was no portfolio. Portfolio. We've talked about this before. In the 70s, if someone asks you to pose for a picture, <laughs> you say no. Except for me. <laughs> Except for you. You would be like, but also, what's my good side? <laughs> okay, tell me where. <laughs> okay, I'm there. <laughs> And that's how Sarah got murdered. (laughs) So a woman who was photographed in 1979 was quoted later as saying, quote, he said he was a professional. So in my mind, I was being a model for him. She was also quoted as saying that the portfolio had, quote, spread after spread of naked teenage boys, end quote. Most were sexually explicit. And the people to this day, a lot of them remain unidentified because they said he had hundreds in there. Police fear that these may be cold case victims that we still don't know about. During this time as well, I'll call a later confess that he knocked 15-year-old Monique Hoyt unconscious and raped her while she posed for photographs. So before I move on to the exciting part of 1978 that involved Rodney Alcala, we're going to take a shot. Yeah, that was rough. Let's let's take a shot. Oh, cheers to my mic. <laughs> cheers sorry, to your sorry mic. About that. <laughs> Clear liquor makes me nervous. <laughs> Ooh, smear off. Peppermint? Uh-huh. It's oh, a yeah. toothpaste shot. <laughs> it's a toothpaste shot. It's Christmassy. <laughs> it radiates from within. I feel within. like I just drank Listerine. <laughs> yes, or like straight up toothpaste and water. It does taste like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are worse things. It's a little weird with the apple so from it's, earlier. It's really tasty if you mix that with cranberry juice Ooh. in what? the Christmas time, the winter. Can't wait for Christmas time. I don't know about that. <laughs> cranberry and mint? Uh, don't knock it till you try it. Yeah, right. don't knock it till you try it. Oh, have you tried it? <laughs> no, but it sounds delicious. I'm <laughs> so like, you don't yes. want me to knock it? Okay. I don't want you to knock it. Consider it unknocked. Uh-huh. Unknocked. <laughs> denocked. <laughs> it has been denocked. So in 1978, Alcala appeared on an episode of a TV show called The Dating Game. If you're not familiar, the show's format involved a bachelorette who had to choose from three eligible bachelors. And they were hidden from each other. So the bachelors could see each other, but they couldn't see the bachelorette and vice versa. There was a series of fun, sort of raunchy questions that would help them choose. And then the end goal was to go on a date afterwards and, of course, find true love. And find true true love. love. True love. True love. (laughs) Oh, there you go. With true crime. I wonder how often true love actually happened on the dating game. Not often. (laughs) Yeah. I guess. In this episode, the host introduced Alcala as, quote, a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the dark room at the age of 13, fully <laughs> developed. Yeah. Isn't that creepy? His father found him, wait, his his father father found found him in the dark room at the age of 13, fully developed. 
That is the weirdest sentence. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. It's awful. I have lots of questions, but okay. And he also said, between takes, you might find him skydiving or motorcycling. He showed up sure. in a brown bell-bottom suit and just smiled as he was presented. In the 70s. I gotcha. He was one of three bachelors vying for Cheryl Bradshaw. And... <laughs> He, whenever he was introduced, he said, we're going to have a great time together, Cheryl. Oh, Cheryl. <laughs> and then just some of the creepy questions. So um, she asked him what was his favorite time of day. And he said that he preferred night because that's the only time there is. Nighttime is when it gets really good. Oh. And then she asks, I'm serving you for dinner. What are you called and what do you look like? And he says, I'm called the banana and I look really good. What? And then she asked him to be more <laughs> descriptive, and he just said, peel me. <gasps> I can't believe they were allowed to say this in the <laughs> 70s on TV. He is so fucking creepy. I'm, I'm clutching so my pearls a little. <laughs> so it's funny because the dating game started in the 60s, and right. apparently the 60s dating game was more buttoned up, a little more like... sure. You know, not as raunchy, but then mm-hmm. the 70s was just a different time in the it world. Was, it, it was. Yeah, all, you know, sex, you know, I feel like sex was, drugs, and rock and roll. He was trying to be, like, kind of funny and sexy, but it really just came off as creepy. Creepy. Well, but here's the thing. In the moment, everybody loved him because ultimately Cheryl picked him. And then <laughs> they were officially introduced and the mood changed. So when they met backstage, he offered her a date that she'd, quote, never forget. But she would later say that she started to feel ill and that he was acting really creepy. So she would turn him down, turn down his offer in hopes that she would just never see him again. And she called the producer, one of the producers the next day and said, like, sh- she couldn't go out with him because she got a really weird vibe. And Good for you, girl. Yeah, noted that he was very strange and he she ultimately just wasn't comfortable. Wow. Um, and so they never did end up going on their date. That's what you call following your gut. Yes. Again, I'm so glad that this TV show did great background checks. So, <laughs> again, top 10 most wanted at that time. And he had been convicted of sexual assault. He had. And that, so this, you know, not wanting to go on the date after meeting the person actually happened a few times with the show. And even though they would have had a chaperone from the show tag along for their date, I think we all know it's probably for the best. For sure. Oh, for sure. So it would later be reported that the husband, wife, producer, slash contestant coordinator team initially disagreed on whether or not to have him on the show in the first place. And there wasn't the technology at the time for background checks. Stop dogging on the 70s. I'm not saying electronic background <laughs> checks, but I mean something. What? Go to the post office and send out uh, an inquiry to every single yeah, county on the, on in the, the Pony nation? Please. On the Pony Express. <laughs> on the Pony Express. I believe that was still around. <laughs> I believe you're right. Excuse me, Sarah. Can you go ride your yeah. pony? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Come back quick now. Okay, sorry. Wait, pony, wait. I think you guys have this Pony Express thing down, Pat. It's like you were there. We're both reincarnated yes. from the Pony what Express. What would your thing. pony's names be? Um, you first. <laughs> what? <laughs> Bullet. Bullet. <laughs> Why? You just totally knew that, like, right instantly. <laughs> I know. I was like, I don't know, Pony. If I rode the Pony Express, it would be Bullet. <laughs> Bullet. I've known this forever. <laughs> I've been waiting for somebody to ask me. <laughs> it makes sense, though. They're fast. It's faster than a speeding bullet. Yes. 
I get oh, it. Oh, like Superman. Yeah. Yes. Now okay. my name. But what is a good horse name? <laughs> For a fast and horse. she'll defend that till she dies. <laughs> Guys, but what's a good name, okay? I'm a bullet. <laughs> what would your name be? I don't know. Nothing's going to compare now to bullet. Yeah, you're right. I was going to exactly. say, I was like, I don't know, pony. <laughs> oh, come on. Listen, pony. I don't know. Then you got creative. <laughs> Sorry. Did you never dream about owning a horse as a child? No. My dreams were shot down <laughs> I definitely early on. did. My family was like, absolutely not. You're not owning a horse. Well, yeah, mine too, but I'm not tall enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking you want a fast horse for the Pony Express. I mean, you're right. So bullet the horse took off with a message. <laughs> To New York. What about Lightning? Ooh. You're just saying that because Lightning McQueen. No. No. I do love that movie. (laughs) No. Lightning, I feel like, is really fast, too. Oh, yes. So sound. (laughs) Okay. You can be be bullet. You can be lightning. I'll be sound. (laughs) Perfect. Mine doesn't have as good of a ring, but it's fine. No, it doesn't. Sound is beautiful. (laughs) Thanks. We've got a great horse. Come here, sound. (laughs) Sound. Do we call horses over like that? Come on. <laughs> you do your sound. You have to do it. Oh. You can't. Sound, sound would respond. <laughs> Noisily. Sound seems Plot like twist. a great Sound is deaf. <laughs> I almost said Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thunder is afraid of... Uh, or light- <laughs> you guys both suck at this game. Lightning's afraid of Thunder. <laughs> Obviously. <clears throat> And, you should have um, named your horse Thunder because lightning comes after thunder. Uh, chow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> not witty enough. <laughs> Sound is deaf. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can't. ever saw that one coming. I am crying. <laughs> your poor horse. Was it a childhood accident? He was. I adopted him at a young age. Nobody wanted him. <laughs> you had him for a discount. <laughs> He's got a. (laughs) You're still important, sound. It's okay. We still love you. You have to sign that to him. You can't just say it. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get in his eyes. (laughs) Poor sound. (laughs) I I feel bad for sound. (laughs) I think he needs a birthday. (laughs) Sound is loved. Sound of silence. That's his competition name. Sound of silence. That's a great name. Yeah. He's deaf, so it's fine. <laughs> He's deaf. Okay, where are we? Pony Express. Uh, background yeah. checks. No background checks. Okay, yeah. In the 70s. That was a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> so Ellen, the contestant coordinator, thought that he was attractive and that all of the women were just going to love him. But her husband actually felt that something was off about him. You know who else was attractive? <clears throat> Ted Bundy. That's how they get you. But also, he you know who's more attractive? attractive? Zach Efron as Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. Yes, Zach Efron as Ted Bundy was attractive, and Definitely. I felt weird feeling that way. Even though that's how I was supposed to feel. Just a natural thing, Lindsay. I know. Everybody it. talks about how attractive Ted Bundy was, so it, he accomplished the job. You and Ted Bundy could have ridden off in the sunset on bullet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Ted Bundy would have ridden off with anyone. That's kind of the point of Ted Bundy. Well, you know. So anyway, her husband felt that something was off and he had a strange personality. Um, But regardless, I'm sure that 
Alcala didn't take this rejection well. And in the same year that he was on the dating game, he killed at least two other women. Mm. One was Jill Parentau, and she was a 21-year-old computer program key punch operator. And don't ask me what that is, because I don't know. Key punch operator? <laughs> like people who punch in and out when they clock in and out? I don't know. Computer? I don't know. Again, I'm not going to ask because I, no I don't idea. know. Thank you. I, I, was, I was guessing. <laughs> so she was killed on June 14th by an intruder who broke into her Burbank apartment by jimmying the window. Her nude body was found on the bedroom floor propped up by pillows. Charlotte Lamb was a legal secretary from Santa Monica who was killed at the age of 32. And her naked body was found on June 24th in the laundry room of a large apartment complex in El Segundo. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled with a shoelace. And then on June 20th of 1979, so we're in the next year, 12-year-old Robin Samso was at the beach with a friend when they were approached by a strange man, Alcala, asking if they'd want to do a photo shoot. They politely declined, and the girls went back to the friend's house, and then Robin had to hurry off to ballet. Um, She took her friend's bike to help her get there quicker, but she never ended up making it, and her badly decomposing body was found 12 days later in the foothills nearby. The friend she was with that day on the beach was asked to help with a sketch of the man, and Alcala's parole officer actually recognized him. And that's when he was arrested at his parents' house on July 24th of 1979. So during a search of the house, investigators found a receipt for a storage locker in Seattle, of all places. And there, they found tons of trophies, including earrings belonging to Robin. In 1980, he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death for the Robin Samso murder. But it was overturned by the California Supreme Court because the county trial judge had allowed the jury to hear about the Tally Shapiro case and Alcala's other rape and kidnapping convictions. Mm. So they thought that it, um, it. Right. Cases he'd already been tried for and sentenced for. Yeah. And they, it it was kind of clouding their judgment of him, even though it was accurate. So, in 1986, he was convicted for a second time and, again, sentenced to death, but it was overthrown uh, in the Court of Appeals, this time because a witness was not allowed to support Akala's contention that the park ranger who found Samso's body had been, quote, hypnotized by police investigators. Okay, I am going to start us on the third trial, which started... In 2003, prosecutors entered a motion to join the SAMSO charges with those of the four newly discovered victims. So he's going to combine everything all together. Alcala's attorneys contested it, of course, and one of them said, quote, if you're a juror and you hear one murder case, you may be able to have reasonable doubt, but it's very hard to say you have reasonable doubt on all five. Especially when four of the five aren't alleged by eyewitnesses, but are proven by DNA matches. I'm just going to tell you those two shots are really making this hard to read. <laughs> You're doing great. I gotta. I love it when DNA comes through. Wowzer. Here we are. 2000s. Get it, DNA. That's what she said. <laughs> I love it when DNA comes through. Okay, got it. 
Okay. I got it. I got it. Okay. Let's go back to talking about our horse names. (laughs) Bullet. Come here, bullet. Silent. Silent. Oh, sound. Oh my gosh, you guys suck at horse names. (laughs) Sound of silence. Okay, that's his show name. (laughs) Horse is lightning. Lightning and thunder. I was calling her horse over. Silent. Silent. Silent is finished. You don't even know sound of silence, okay? I know. I can't believe you hate your horse sound. <laughs> he was, nobody wanted him. <laughs> well, he's a deaf horse. He was a pony straight express. deaf horse. <laughs> you made him that way. Listen. I made him deaf. <laughs> yes. You are heartless. It came like that to me. <laughs> okay. Third trial. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I just read that long quote beautifully. You did a great job. Uh, Okay, but in 2006, the California Supreme Court ruled in the prosecution's favor, and in February of 2010, Alcala was on trial for the five joined charges. This time, though, he decided to do something a little different, something that almost never works out in a person's favor. Uh Uh-oh. What did he do? He decided to act as his own attorney. (gasps) Interesting, because Bundy did this, too. (laughs) That's what narcissists do. Yeah. I would never... No, you would Absolutely never be not. able to. Um, that was really insulting. <laughs> no, I would never be able to either. I could try. No, I, she's going to. <laughs> okay, Shiny. you do that. You're going to try yourself. Oh, gosh. Even if I was innocent, I would trip myself up. And I'd be like, wait a second, what did I say? Well, he took the, t- the stand in his own defense. And so he asked himself questions. <laughs> for five <laughs> hours, he acted out as both the interrogator and the witness. Oh, my gosh. Um, and he would ask himself questions. And, yes, he also addressed himself as Mr. Alcala. And they let so, him do this. <laughs> so he said, Mr. Alcala. No, where, he where actually said it in a slightly nine. deeper voice. <gasps> Shut Mr. up. Alcala. That's what they said. <laughs> Mr. Alcala, where were you yes. on the night of tonight? And then he would answer, I was yes. at this place. Oh. Right. So it's not really me. It's somebody else. Can't you tell? Wow. It's a voice change. Honestly, that would have fooled me. <laughs> Close your eyes. She's juror number five, and she's like, who's talking? Innocent. Done. I don't know. It's a lawyer. Is there a ghost? <laughs> Lightning? <laughs> Something Silent just strode through sound. here. Sound. Oh, my gosh. She really doesn't care about your horse. I feel hurt. It says, I'm using his formal last name. Okay. It's formal. <laughs> Mr. Silent. Silence. <laughs> Sound of silence. silence. No, sound sound of silence. He's a competitor, okay? Hello, silence, my old friend. You can sing that to him, but you won't hear it. I will sign it beautifully. You tap it on his back. In the the beats. Did you just say braille? Oh my gosh. He's also blind, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Poor sound. <laughs> He's the worst horse on the Pony Express. <laughs> I gave him a job to make him feel like he was needed, okay? Uh, sound. <laughs> all right, so he was answering questions and asking them in a deeper voice. Right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> totally normal. So not only would he change his voice to ask himself questions... But then he would answer these questions in a really, like, monotone voice. Oh, my gosh. 
Um, and so during this very weird time, he told the jurors that he was at the Knott's Berry farm applying for a job as a photographer at the same time Sam So was kidnapped. Okay, so he showed the jury a clip from the dating game when he was on the show to oh prove gosh. that the earrings found in his locker were his and not Samso's. Because he was wearing them in the dating game? Funny you mentioned that. So Jed Mills, who was on the show at the same time as yeah. him, explained that earrings weren't really a common accessory for men in 1978. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're probably more accepted now. I mean, men wear them all, all the time. Sure. But, you know, in 78, that wasn't really the thing. So you would notice, is what I'm saying. And he said he definitely would have noticed if, if Rodney was wearing earrings at the, at the time of the show. And he was not wearing earrings. Hmm. I also don't know how that proves it because his hair was over his ears the whole time. I was thinking he had long, wavy hair. Right. Maybe he was like slow mowing. Like flipped the hair back and you just see the ear and you're like, there it is. There's the earlobe. <laughs> you can't see it that's far away. And I know it's really grainy, but, but like, trust me. Can you see the earring in that earlobe? Just trust me. There's no, there's no earring there. He really didn't make any attempts to dispute the four other charges, which is interesting. Just uh, said that he couldn't remember killing any of these women. Oh, okay. That is a great Hours. defense. During his closing argument, he played um, a song called Alice's Restaurant. He played a song during his closing <laughs> argument? He did, yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, remember remember the guy from Florida, the uh, Scream guy? He sang a song during his oh, trial. Oh, yes, yes, too. yes. I don't know why it made me think of that. So- yeah, I thought it was weird. He played a song called Alice's Restaurant. <laughs> and during this song, a person tells a psychiatrist that they want to kill. Why would he play that song? <laughs> Girl, he's a weirdo. He is weird. So, so in- he won, right? <laughs> in less than two days, the Define jury convicted <laughs> him on all five counts of first degree murder. Mm. We won. <laughs> People won. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was even close, but... Yeah. During the penalty phase, there was a surprise witness. It was, do you guys say Tally? Because I, I have a friend named Tolly, and so that's why I get confused. So, I said Tally Shapiro. And I think you did too. So it was Tally Shapiro, <gasps> Akala's first known victim. She came back. She showed up. Rodney's psychiatrist appeared as the only defense witness and testified that Rodney's borderline personality disorder could explain why he had no memory of committing the murders. But keep in mind, he was a paid psychiatrist from right. him. So, and I mean, I don't know how that would explain every single thing, but I mean, even a paid psychiatrist wouldn't lie on the stand, though. Maybe, maybe they shouldn't. I will say, should not. <laughs> they shouldn't. But it wasn't like um. <clears throat> An expert, no, in the in the field, and that's a weak ex- that's a weak defense too. To say yeah, it could, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's this excuses everything. Yeah. There are a lot of people with borderline personality that don't kill other people and just have no memory of it. So. Right, right. In March of 2010, um, Rodney was sentenced to death for a third time, and at the same time, the Huntington Beach, California, and New York City Police Departments released 120 of his photographs and asked the public for help in identifying mm-hmm. anyone that they could from the pictures the pictures were mostly of women and children and even though they released 120 of them 900 additional pictures couldn't be released because they were too sexually explicit Mm. 900 i know that's a lot of people that he photographed and a lot of people that probably weren't identified right so after the photos were released police said that 21 women had come forward to identify themselves and at least six families said that they believed they recognized loved ones who appeared or disappeared years ago and Aww. were never found. 
Nothing officially connected, though, to a missing person case until 2013 when a family member recognized the photo of Christine Thornton. So this is where I'm going to kind of touch on things that you guys have already mentioned, but maybe tie things up back a little in, bit. Yeah. yeah. So Christine Thornton, whose body was found in Wyoming in 1982, and these pictures are still online and they continue to ask the public for help. So if anybody wants to go look at these people, then if you feel like you might know them, go for it. Um, some more of the additional charges... We can start in New York. In January of 2011, a Manhattan grand jury indicted him for the murders of Cornelia Crilly and Ellen Hover. And in June of 2012, he was extradited to New York. But in December 2012, he pled guilty, but said that he wanted to go back to California mm-hmm. to appeal his cases there. But um, in January 2013, a judge sen- sentenced him to an additional 25 years to life for those two. Jeez. You might have said, was this through DNA or was it just through family identifying them through the photographs? Family. Okay. Mm-hmm. The next one is in Washington. In 2010, he was named as a person of interest in the unsolved murders of Antoinette Whitaker and Joyce Gaunt. He rented the Seattle area storage locker, like you mentioned, Boydston, um, where investigators found jewelry that you talked about, but he also found they also found jewelry that belonged to those two girls, Antoinette and Joyce. So the next one is in San Francisco. In March of 2011, prosecutors announced that they were confident that he was responsible for the murder of Pamela Jean Lamson, who disappeared after making a trip to Fisherman's Wharf to meet a man who offered to photograph her. Sounds just like him. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, her body was found near a hiking trail, but there was no fingerprints or DNA, so charges were never filed on that one. In Wyoming, in September of 2016, he was charged with the murder of Christine Ruth Thornton, who disappeared in 1977. And in 2013, a relative recognized her from the photos that were made public. He admitted to taking this photo, but not killing the women. (laughs) Right. Okay. I took the pictures, but it wasn't me. Mm -hmm. Um, Who was approximately, sorry, who was approximately six months pregnant at the time that she was killed. Oh, gosh. Rodney Alcala died July 24th, 2021, so very recently, and that's why he's in the news again. He died at 1.43 a.m. Um, of natural causes in a hospital near Corcoran, California. He was 77 years old. I tried to look up and see what was going on, but really, they didn't say too much about his causes of death. I did see that he wasn't able to make some other court appearances, though, prior to that because of his health. So it was on death row, but never made it. Nope. I mean, he died there, but yeah, he didn't, was not killed by them. There have been a few short segments about him and a movie on Investigation Discovery. You talked about the 2020 episode. Um, More recently, however, though, Netflix Netflix announced that there will be a biographical film called Rodney and Cheryl, which depicts his appearance on the dating game during the middle of his killing spree. I'm excited to see that. I saw that, too. Yeah, Anna uh, Kendrick. Kendrick is going to be Cheryl. Yeah, so there you go. Have you guys listened to the podcast about him? The no, dating it's, game it's on my to listen is to. It on, is it the Wondery one? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I started it, but it's a six-part series, and I didn't it is. have time for that. It's a six-part series. I, it's very good, <clears throat> very well done. I love I love listening to their podcasts. Mm-hmm. Wondery is amazing. They do yeah. very good podcasts, yeah. yeah. Um, we listened to it on a road trip. I forget where we were going. I don't know. But me and my husband listened to the whole thing. It was yeah. very well done. Very good. Oh, yeah. So I highly Have recommend. You listened, you've listened to their other stuff, too? I've listened to a couple, yeah. Yeah. I started watching Doc, Dr. Death on Peacock. I might get Peacock just to watch that. I don't have it's Peacock. It's actually very good. 
Did you ever catch the Investigation Discovery movie of the dating game killer? Mm-mm. I tried to look it up, but I couldn't find it. Yeah, so I it used to be on Prime, uh-huh. and I had watched it, I think, last year sometime, and um, it was more like a, like a reenactment of not necessarily his crimes, but like his situations leading up to the crimes. Okay. Kind of in like a, a movie format. Yeah. And it's pretty interesting. Yeah. It didn't get good reviews, but I didn't. I liked it. I yeah. love anything on Investigation Discovery, honestly. I do, too. I was a little bit sad because I wanted to watch some stuff mm-hmm. uh, before tonight's episode, but it was kind of hard to find some stuff. But, I mean, if you think about it, most of his most of his cases are, like, suspected of and you know, kind of pre-DNA mm-hmm. evidence, so it's really hard to nail right. things down. Um, which is kind of sad in a way because not a lot of closure for those people. Right. They suspected he killed like at least 100 just because of those photos. Well, it just makes you think like a lot of his victims were found in kind of secluded areas. So I feel like there's just so many more bodies out there that just haven't been discovered or that didn't have enough identifiers to connect them to the pictures or anything, any family. So it's just sad. So this is, that's Rodney and... Is Rodney? He's <laughs> gone now. Rod. Rod, as we like to call him. He's gone now. <laughs> oh, your segue. Don't ask me to speak at your funeral. <laughs> oh, that was Lindsay. <laughs> She's, She's gone, gone now. now. <laughs> well, see you later. Uh, Big gulp, eh? Yep. <laughs> I gotcha. So, I mean, that's all we got. Yeah. You guys having a good week? Um, yeah, said, that was a big she was emotional this week. I am week. emotional this week. My kids are going to kindergarten. Oh, that I'm is very a big emotional. Week. It is. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, my kids are twins. And so they are both leaving me at the same time. <laughs> I'm losing both of my kids. And I'm just like, you're not losing them. I'm losing them. They're leaving me <laughs> for eight hours a day. And then they're coming uh-huh. right back. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Every day. I'm also just, like, emotional about, like, I wanted them separated because they're so dependent upon the other. But I'm also very sad that they're being separated. Sure. Because they are just peas in a pod, and I'm sad that they're going to be separated. So you did ask for them to be in separate classes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But think of all the fun mm-hmm. adventures and new friends that they're going to I know that go they'll on. do good and they'll be good. Um, my son hasn't really talked about it. I don't think it's hit him, but my daughter was crying the other day because she's, like... I don't want to get older. Mom, you want me to stay little, right? I'm I feel just like, like she's probably feeding off of you. Yes, and I'm <laughs> crying, and she's crying. My husband just looks at the two of us. He's like, get it together. <laughs> like, I can't. I can't. <laughs> like, I yes, like, I want you to stay little. shoving them out the door. <laughs> like, they <laughs> have a great I, time. I mean, I will be happy that they are going. Cause yeah. I, will, I was like, I will have so much time to do stuff on my days off, but I'm sad. So much room for activities. So much room for activities. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm excited for them. I can't wait to see their back-to-school pictures. They're going to have a blast. They're going to have so much fun, and I know that. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to our group true crime episode. You can always find us at thetipsyghost.com and our socials from there. Or send us an email to thetipsyghost at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star rating and a great review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We would greatly appreciate it, and it really helps. All right, guys. We, uh, boop, 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 boop. See, I can't do this. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. We will catch you guys next week. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.